So simply just saying, hey, sit still or focus, turn your body towards me, stop moving. That's not going to override the brain's message to self-regulate. What it does do is that it creates all this extra cognitive effort for the brain to be like, oops, guess this natural urge that we have is wrong. Gotta go send all those signals out to the body now to say, stay still, don't move. And all that energy going against what the body really needs could be spent learning while the body just did those things to regulate. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. All right. We are talking about whole body listening in this episode and why I think we shouldn't be requesting this of students, especially neurodivergent students. So let me give you some backstory. I used to always use this lesson with my kids, with my OT groups that I would lead in the clinic, even my one-on-one sessions, even in the visuals I would create, the social stories I create, I would always reference whole body listening. I read all of my clients' whole body listening books, all of it. I was following what I was seeing everywhere and not even questioning it. Um, Since then, I've done an extreme makeover, so to speak, of my interventions and really looking at the way that I speak and treat my neurodivergent clients and how I would want someone to teach and treat and speak to my neurodivergent child. And some of the first things that I threw out of my interventions or throughout of my OT toolbox were scripts and phrases that placed neurotypical expectations on my neurodivergent clients. So this included everything from expectations for like how they should sit, sitting still, asking for eye contact, saying things like use your words, trying to change the way that a child was playing with toys or just playing period and even using like breaks as rewards. Ooh, I seriously cringe thinking that I used to do that. But when you know better, you do better. I know better now. So this is why. This is why I have a podcast and this is why I am teaching everyone out there hopefully someone is listening that even if you do those things now, this can be your fresh start and let me tell you why. Okay, but first I want to share one of the main like pushback things that I get from special education teachers, OTs, speech therapists, or behavior therapists who still use these kinds of scripts and strategies like whole body listening and um, trying to shape the way that their kids uh, play with toys and all of those things that I just listed. They typically argue or say like things like, 
well, how are we going to prepare them for the real world when they won't always be accommodated? They're going to have to learn to sit quietly in this setting to be successful, or they need to learn how to interact in a society in a socially appropriate way, or they won't make friends or have successful relationships. You can sub out that conversation for basically all of the accommodations that I advocate for on this podcast and through my Instagram and all of that. Here's the gist of how I tend to respond, and it sounds different per person and per professional and per behavior that they're talking about, but here's what it always comes back to. Our world, including the social norms and the cultures that we are expected to adhere to, are based on neurotypical traditions and abilities. It's a world built by neurotypicals created for neurotypicals. Neurodivergent people are not any less than neurotypical people. They also deserve to have success and to access their community and relationships as neurotypicals do in a way that feels good to neurodivergent people. But for that to happen, we need to offer accommodations. We as a society, not just teachers, but like just our communities, our society. We don't need to focus on teaching neurodivergent individuals how to act more neurotypical. We need to teach them how to advocate for themselves. We need to teach them how to be more confident in their rights as equal human beings. We do need to focus on teaching neurotypical individuals how to be more neurodiverse affirming. And this starts in the classroom and at home when they're young so that when they grow up and they become lawmakers and advocates for the community and they own businesses and all of those things, then they will know to provide accommodations for their patrons, for their customers, for the people that they serve. Would you ask a physically disabled person in a wheelchair to walk upstairs? I hope not. you would expect that the building that they're in would have an accommodation for handicapped individuals, an elevator, a ramp, something like that. Most buildings today are up to code and account for that, but it took years of advocacy and legislation to put into place for that to happen. So we should accommodate and support the needs of neurodivergent individuals just as much as we do for physically disabled individuals. But of course, that's more of a long-term goal and hope and wish. And we can hope and wish and pray for those days to come. But yes, of course, until then, we do need to do something today. And we do need to teach our neurodivergent kids stuff. But the first thing I would say is teach them how to advocate for themselves. This depends on us teaching them how they learn best, how they play best, how they communicate best. And we want to provide ways that they can ask for accommodations for their needs and have them practice that. But forcing them to adhere to neurotypical norms and sometimes punishing them for not doing this is not okay. But I'm going to add one side note here, and that is that I always listen to black autistic creators on Instagram. One of them is Nye Functioning Autism. I will put a link to her Instagram in um, the show notes. And they always share about the dangers that come from being black and autistic and 
not knowing how to act neurotypical in front of law enforcement. And so they do depend on teaching their children how to, quote, act neurotypical and how to be compliant. Um, So I completely understand that nuance and the unfortunate reality that those families live with. And while that's not my particular story to tell, I wanted to call that out here and invite you to learn more from that specific creator on Instagram and many more. Um, Okay, so let me get back on track to what this episode um, is about, which is whole body listening. I kind of went on a tangent on what it means to be accommodating and neurodiverse affirming. So we're talking about whole body listening. So if you are unfamiliar with this, it's a common lesson or strategy to teach teach kids um, how their bodies should, quote, appear like they're actively listening to the speaker or teacher. So notice that I put the word appear in quotes. Well, you can't see, but if you read the show notes, it's in quotes. Because honestly, how can someone else, someone outside of me, judge if I am actively listening or not, just based on how my body looks to them? So this curriculum or lesson of Whole body listening preaches things like having your eyes on the speaker, having, quote, quiet hands. And it's usually depicted by like hands in like crossed and hands in your lap or by your side. Um, Quiet feet where your feet is just on the ground and not moving. Um, Having a general, quote, still body and, quote, quiet mouth. So adults who are teaching this are really trying to get the message across that unless your body is completely sitting still with your hands in your lap, eyes gazing at your teacher, with your mouth shut, then you are not being a good listener and aren't learning enough. And this is so troubling because as we know, this is not the only way people learn. Your body does not need to sit still in order to learn. So many different people, especially neurodivergent learners, may benefit from things like fidgeting with something, doodling, rocking back and forth, standing instead of sitting, visual stimming, chewing on things. They actually need those things to be regulated in their body. And guess what? You need to be regulated in order to learn, period, I've listened to and heard from so many neurodivergent adults and autistic individuals who said that the energy that it took them to quiet their entire body to appear like they're listening physically made it 10 times harder to focus and learn anything at all. So if you want to actually see those comments, I'm going to link a reel in the show notes Um, about this concept of getting rid of whole body listening. And if you just scroll through the comments, you'll see so many people share their stories or stories of their children about how they had, they were constantly being um, reprimanded for not appearing to look like they're listening. But every time they were questioned, they remembered every single thing, even if their body was like turned the other way. And this makes sense. This makes sense why it takes so much energy for, those people to have to try really, really hard in order to just sit still and look like they're learning and then it results in them not learning at all. This is, this is why that makes sense. Our brain wants to keep our body regulated, comfortable, and alive. That is one part of the brain's main job, to focus on our comfort, regulation, and being alive. 
So our brain then will tell our body to do things involuntarily to keep it that way, to keep our body comfortable, regulated, and alive. So when something's loud, we might cover our ears. When something smells, we might cover our nose. When our body feels stiff and achy, we might get up and stretch. So hopefully you see where I'm going with this. When your body is in the middle of listening to a long talk or conversation or lesson, haven't you ever had the urge to twirl your hair, um, tap your foot, click a pen, chew gum? That is self-regulation. Those are sensory strategies. Your brain is sending a message down to your body to stay regulated. For kids, especially neurodivergent kids, their self-regulation can sometimes be more obvious, like rocking back and forth, jumping, getting up and pacing, hand flapping, doodling, chewing on things, those things that I listed earlier. So simply just saying, hey, sit still or focus, turn your body towards me, stop moving. That's not going to override the brain's message to self-regulate. What it does do is that it creates all this extra cognitive effort for the brain to be like, oops, guess this natural urge that we have is wrong. Gotta go send all those signals out to the body now to say, stay still, don't move. And all that energy going against what the body really needs could be spent learning while the body just did those things to regulate. So let's go back to my example earlier of someone being physically disabled in a wheelchair. Let's say you come up to a flight of stairs and you just tell the person in the wheelchair, all right, let's go upstairs, get up. And let's say for the sake of this argument that they do have the motor ability to do this, um, but it just takes significant energy and strength for them to do so. Why would you make them do that? Why would you make them suffer and spend so much energy to do that when you could take them through an elevator or a ramp? That's the same thing here. Okay, so now we're going back to whole body listening. Here's what I suggest, how I would give an alternative to this. In a perfect world, in a perfect classroom, I would love to hear teachers use some kind of language that sounds like this. So instead of calm hands, allow the child to fidget with something. You could say, oh, looks like your hands need a job. You can squeeze this. Instead of have a calm body, please allow them to rock back and forth or stand up to get movement. You could say, oh, it looks like your body isn't comfortable on the ground. You can stand up behind the circle or you can sit on this chair. Instead of saying eyes on me, I would be comfortable with the child having another point of focus that's not on a person's face or eyes because that might be hard for them. So you might need to workshop with them on this and find somewhere that makes sense for them to look at. Maybe it's behind the speaker to the whiteboard. But I would say something like, I notice it's really hard to look at me when I talk. That's okay. Next time you can look at the board or another area as long as you can still hear my words. Obviously, these things need to be practiced outside of the moment, but it's really important to not reprimand them for not being able to sit still. That's my point. You can help redirect their regulation strategies to something that's more appropriate. But here's a really important part that you need to hear. You need to take a deep dive in self-reflection on what you consider to be, quote, appropriate. Because appropriate does not mean that you have to like it. Appropriate for the classroom just means that it's safe and isn't completely taking away 
from the child's learning or others, right? And it's not like dangerous or anything like that. Sometimes the child is already doing things that's pretty appropriate and it's just bothering the teacher. So we need to really, really self-reflect on that. For example, I once went to a classroom um, of a client that I was working with and I was doing an observation and he kept fidgeting with his shoelaces during circle time, like just kept playing with them, twirling them around his fingers, curling them in his hands. This teacher was actually really nice and sweet and wanted to accommodate him and allow fidgeting. So she kept asking, do you have any replacements for this? Do you have anything else? Because we keep trying this squeeze ball. We've tried this. We've tried this. And he just keeps losing them. And it like changes every day. But he keeps, you know, fidgeting with his shoelaces. And I finally asked her, is there a problem with him fidgeting with his shoelaces that I can't see? Or is there a reason why you don't want to allow him fidgeting with his shoelaces? Um, and she didn't really have an answer. She was just like, well, I just assumed that we needed to like replace it with something. And I was like, well, let's think about it. Shoelaces are always on him. He'll never forget it. No one else can grab it from him. It's safe. It's pretty discreet. It seems pretty functional to me and appropriate. So these are the kinds of things that we need to think about when you see a child who's already doing a regulation strategy before you jump to getting rid of it or jump to having to find a way to redirect it. Think about how safe it is already and how appropriate it is. Even if it looks, quote, weird or it just seems like you have to redirect it, really think about it. Now, there might come a time when you need to get creative in where you seat different sensory profiled children. So I would try not to sit a sensory sensitive child next to a sensory seeker. Um, Or if you have a child who is, just visually distracted and always has to look at things that are moving. There are a lot of students like that. Um, And you have another child who needs movement to regulate. Maybe you would sit the visually distracted child closer to the teacher when the teacher is teaching and and having a lesson, while the child who needs to get up and move is at least sitting behind or standing behind the visually distracted child. So you might need to play kind of um, musical chairs, get creative with this. Um, There's always a way to make room for all kinds of learners. The other common pushback that I get from teachers is usually about other neurotypical kids, quote, taking advantage of fidgets or sensory tools or accommodations. And the teachers worry that if they let this neurodivergent child use a fidget, fidget, then everyone will want to use a fidget, even if they don't need it. And then it becomes a distraction for the whole class. So I totally get that. And one of the ways that I recommend teachers remedy this is by setting aside time to educate the whole class on different learning styles. So I would teach the students that sensory tools and fidgets are not toys. They are meant to help someone learn better, to focus better. When a tool or strategy becomes distracting to that learner, then it is no longer an appropriate tool for them. You don't get to take it away from the whole class. It's just not the appropriate fidget for that student. So I really would give them a chance to learn about how their own body and brain learn and focus best, while also getting to understand Um, and know how to accept their peers' differences in learning. It might even be a really cool 
uh, exercise to do, like a sensory detectives exercise where everyone gets to explore different sensory strategies and tools and take notes on things that worked for their body and things that did not work for their body and compare with others so that they can see You know, I really liked having headphones with calming music and getting to read my book, but for my neighbor who was sitting right next to me, they did not like the music. They really needed noise-canceling headphones to have quiet. Once everyone starts to understand that there are different ways of learning, that is the first step in becoming neurodiverse affirming. And you are teaching everybody to be inclusive of others, and hopefully you will have less of a challenge managing all of the strategies and sensory tools that are being used in the classroom and hopefully they're being used more appropriately. All right, so here's here's the bottom line and the takeaways about whole body, body listening. So first, whole body listening, what it is, is it's really just an ableist expectation. It's not neurodiverse affirming and it just needs to not exist in, in classrooms today. We should shift to accommodating different learning styles, which does include sensory needs and sensory supports. And lastly, it's important to educate the whole class on the expectations of using those sensory tools and sensory accommodations. All right, I hope you learned at least one thing from this episode. Maybe it challenged one of the mindsets that you had about whole body listening or maybe reaffirmed the way that you already do things in your classroom or in your clinic or practice. But if you want to continue learning from me or you want more one-on-one guidance to provide better sensory accommodations for your child in the classroom, I offer the support through one-on-one coaching. You can find that at theotbutterfly.com slash parent consult. I'll talk to you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.